Well, hello. Welcome back to another Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, Impact Wrestling, and now until the G1 Climax Tournament is over, I will be bringing you G1 Climax, New Japan's uh, summer traditional tournament standings towards the end of the show. Now, Having said all of that, how have everyone been since I've been going for the last, what, two weeks now on this particular show? And it isn't like I haven't been keeping up with products throughout those two weeks. I've been keeping up with each show's progress. And I must say that WWE, the overarching thing, is still the bloodline story, second up is Finn Balor and Seth Rollins. More importantly, the Judgment Day as a whole, the Judgment Day going to stick together or are they going to disintegrate? And that's basically it for WWE, AEW. They had, well, they're doing blood and guts this past week. And the Tag Team Title Eliminator Tournament, which has been a pleasant tournament. And then we had Impact, which just had Slammiversary this past Saturday. And the comings and goings of certain superstars there. And yeah, I'll get more into all those things. But I just want to let everybody know that I've been keeping up with every particular product for these past two weeks. Now, moving off of that, let's get to Monday Night Raw, what happened this week. It opens up with Cody Rhodes. By the way, they are in Atlanta, Georgia. Cody Rhodes comes out. To the ring in his ring gear, Cody would call out Brock Lesnar so he can accept Cody's challenge at SummerSlam. Brock wouldn't come out to the ring. This will have Cody say that if Brock shows up at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, or even at the end of the show, he'll be waiting for him. Cody would then shift his attention over to talking about his mother since they are in Atlanta, Cody's hometown. Cody would talk about his mom making him who he is today, which is a fighter, and give her props. Cody would say that Tonight isn't going to be hard times for him. It will be hard times for Brock Lesnar. Again, that's another nudge nudge to his father, Dusty Rose, who has a very famous synonymous promo that is with him called the Hard Times promo. Cody would then thank the crowd and go over to his family, hug them. Then Brock's music would hit, but no Brock Lesnar. Cody would then start walking up the ramp and again, Brock's music would play. This time, Cody would decide to walk to the back, but this time he would get ambushed by Brock Lesnar. Brock would attack Cody with a chair, brutalizing him. Brock would then bring Cody over to his family, hit him with an F5 in front of them, then lock in the Kimura lock. He would then throw Cody into the ring and then reapply the Kimura lock again and hold on to it until he decided to let go. Brock would then tell Cody that he accepts his challenge for a match at SummerSlam, so there you have it. We have our match scheduled between Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar. Now next up was Matt Riddle versus Gunther and this time Imperium was barred from ringside. Gunther would win the match by pinfall by hitting a powerbomb for the win. This match was better than their Money in the Bank match. I said it on my Money in the Bank review. I found their match there kind of disappointing. It could have been on the Monday Night Raw. They could have literally interchanged these two. This match felt like it could have been on the Money in the Bank the way that they were performing especially with Riddle not having to sell an injury that he had to do at Money in the Bank. So I was glad to see Gunther and Riddle actually have a good 
one-on-one matchup between each other. After the match, Gunther would stand on top of the commentary table. Gunther would tell the crowd that he is the greatest Intercontinental Champion and that he is building a legacy for him and said championship and that Drew McIntyre could come after him, but he will fall like the rest, which would prompt to next week we will have Gunther and Drew McIntyre having a face-off between each other. Now, next up, we would have a backstage segment with the women tag team champions, Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan, because they have to defend their tag team titles later that night. Rhea Ripley would come into that segment and just have a stare down with Raquel after saying a couple words. Liv would try to interject herself, but she would eat a headbutt from Rhea Ripley. This will have Raquel and Rhea fight each other. Rhea would kick Raquel in her knee. Then you will see Rhea walk away. Now this would put some pressure and implications onto the tag team title match later tonight, whether it's going to happen or not, but I'll get to that in a minute. Now, next up, the Judgment Day. Judgment Day as a group will come down to the ring. We have Senior Money in the Bank, Damian Priest, along with Dirty Dominic Mysterio, the Women's World Champion, Rhea Ripley, and Finn Balor. Rhea will talk about the dominance of Judgment Day and that they are not going to break up even between the petty squirrels that we've seen between Finn and Damian Priest. Rhea would then talk about how dominant they are yet again. Dom would try to speak, but he couldn't because the people would boo him out of the building as they have done from weeks and weeks and months. Priest would then have to speak up on Dominic's behalf and say that Dom will go over to NXT and become the NXT North American Champion, while he will become the World Champion. But then Priest will have to back up and look at Finn and say, listen, I understand you got Seth first, so you'll have at it. Finn would then speak and say that he can't wait to hear what Seth has to say later tonight. Then we would get the interruption of Judgment Day by the Unified Tag Team Champions, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. They will come out. Sami will say that they and the people of Atlanta are tired of hearing Judgment Day speak. Sami will say that he and Kevin Owens can't wait to face Damien and Dom so they can shut them up. Priest will say since they feel so confident, why don't they put their tag team titles on the line? Sami will let Kevin Owens talk. Kevin Owens would agree to this because he just wants to stun and punch Dominic in the face. So our main event of that night would be Kevin Owens and Sammy putting up their tag team titles against Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio. Now, speaking of one tag team titles over to another, it's time for the women's tag team championship matchup. We have the champions Liv and Raquel going against Chelsea and Sonya. At first, it seems that we're not going to get this match because we have a backstage uh, segment of where Raquel is getting her leg and knee looked after, and Pierce would try to tell Liv that, yo, I don't think this match is going to happen. Raquel will say, no, I can do this. We're not going to forfeit the titles again after Liv had her problem. We're not going to do this. So we get to our match here, and effectively, it's kind of a two-on-one beatdown because Sonya would pull Raquel off the turnbuckle by grabbing at her leg and making... Uh, Raquel basically agitate her knee, so Liv was do or die in this matchup by herself, and it would be die for Liv because she would lose the match to Sonya and Chelsea when Chelsea would hit the unprettier on Liv, and then Sonya would come up with a running knee strike to the face, and that would basically seal the deal. So we have new women's tag team champions, Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville. Great job for them. Sonya and Chelsea, those two are two agitating characters and for them just to have the tag team titles now they're going to be more agitating so it's going to be more sweet 
whenever a new team, more than likely Caden Carter and uh, Katana Chance, more than likely beat them for the women's tag team titles, but we'll have to wait for that. But again, congratulations to Chelsea and Sonia. Let's see what type of annoyance they can be in the times and weeks to come. Now, next up, Seth Rollins. It's time for his backstage interview. Seth's whole talking point of this is about who could possibly challenge him for the World Heavyweight Championship at SummerSlam. He would mention guys like Kevin Owens, Gunther, uh, Sami Zayn, multiple other people, but then Finn would walk in. Seth would listen to Finn speak about him wanting a rematch, telling Seth to speak to whoever he has to speak to to make this match happen. Seth would tell Finn that he needs to stop this. He can have the match, but he needs to stop doing this. He needs to leave things in the past. He's talking about the anger that Finn has. Finn would tell Seth that that's not the plan. He plans on taking everything away from Seth, laughing in his face, taking his career the same way that Seth did to him several years ago. Now, Finn will leave. Seth would talk to production, asking them, are they done? Then Finn would throw a chair at Seth and then start attacking Seth Rollins. This is the same Finn Balor that we've seen for weeks upon weeks. Constantly just try to brutalize and attack Seth Rollins. And personally, I like this because Finn Balor, he needs this. He needs this edge to him and he's been missing that for a long time. So for him to have this edge against Seth Rollins for these past months, it's a big plus. Now, next up, Viking Rules match, which is basically Falls Count Anywhere, no disqualification style matchup. Uh, Alpha Academy with Maxine Dupree in their corner going against the Viking Raiders with Valhalla in their corner. The Viking Raiders would win this match by pinfall with the Viking Raiders hitting Ragnarok, which is a double powerbomb on Otis to win the match. This was a fun match, but the main point of this match was to get Chad Gable again, showing that he can be a major player by hitting moonsaults and hitting a German suplex on Ivar, again, Chad Gable is a real underrated style guy. He is literally this generation's Kurt Angle, just without having being six foot one or six foot two Kurt Angle style height. Chad Gable, I believe he's about 5'10", but he still has all the athletic uh, ability of a Kurt Angle, and it's just criminally underrated the way that he is. And hopefully with this match, uh, someone backstage can put Chad Gable in a good spot because again Chad Gable he is Kurt Angle but just again smaller but he's able to do everything Kurt was able to do however again we'll have to wait and see if someone in the back actually paid attention to this this match showed Otis again another standout moment for Otis whenever he has a female love interest and this time is Maxine Dupree Otis always shows out and the fans always gets behind Otis Last time he had a female love interest, it was Mandy Rose as we were going into WrestleMania in 2020. COVID happened. Otis was supposed to get this big moment with him and uh, Mandy Rose at Mania. That didn't happen. But throughout that storyline, people were clamoring for Otis, cheering for Otis, the same thing where they're doing with Otis now with this. Anytime he has a female love interest, Otis shows up. He gets the dub. And for me, I felt that this was a dub, even though... Alpha Academy to the loss here. It was a dub for Chad Gable and Otis, but this was a big dub for the Viking Raiders because now with this win over Alpha Academy, hopefully this can launch them into something important like getting a tag team uh, championship matchup or becoming a actual (laughs) dominating tag team, something that has been missing from their key ingredient since they moved from NXT over to the main roster it's just been missing from them i don't understand what it is probably they're gonna say vince mcmahon i don't know but 
Viking Raiders now getting this win. Hopefully, it launches them into a tag team opportunity, launches them into something important. Now, next up was Shayna Baszler going against Nikki Cross. Shayna would win this in a quick minute by submission by locking in the Coquina Clutch on Nikki and making Nikki tap out. After the match, Ronda would be in a luxury box, Ronda Rousey, and grab Shayna's attention by talking to Shayna. Ronda would say that Shayna had the easy going, well, easy way, going from the indies, working on your craft, into going into the WWE, to talking to the greatest minds in the business, and then getting signed, and then here you go. While Ronda had to go through the backdoor route, the hard route, by winning an Olympic medal, becoming an icon in MMA, then been thrown into the deep end in WWE. Ronda would then talk about the comparison of her and Shayna. Ronda would say that she was able to do this all within a fraction of the time that Shayna was able to do it, just like she did in MMA. Uh, Shayna would call Ronda to the ring, but Ronda would decline that. Shayna would try to get at Ronda, but security would stop Shayna. Ronda would tell Shayna that she is going to do her a favor again and put her on SummerSlam in a match against her. So we have Shayna Baszler going against Ronda Rousey at SummerSlam. Okay, cool. Now next up, Miz TV with Becky Lynch as the guest. Miz would try to poke and prod at Becky for losing to Zoe Starks last week. Becky would get up, throw her and Miz's chair out of the ring. Becky would get in Miz's face and tell Miz that she has lost a lot of things this year, titles, friends, but she hasn't lost a step. Becky would tell Miz to hurry up and call Trish and Zoe out because this is Miz TV. You always have surprises. Miz would do so, and you would see Becky just wait for Trish and Zoe to come out. And once they do, Becky would tell Trish that she wants a rematch. Trish would tell Becky that this isn't going to happen because Trish has beaten her. They made sure that she didn't win the Money in the Bank briefcase. And Zoe Starks has beaten Becky. So Trish would decline and say they are moving on from Becky Lynch. Becky would then not want to hear that. Becky would tell Trish that she allowed Trish to come back into WWE. That Trish listened to Becky whenever Becky was not at her highest. She was at her lowest. And Trish used that to come after Becky. And you would just hear Becky talk and talk and Trish would just interrupt and say, you know what, you fine, you got it. You got your match on a couple stipulations. One, if you could beat Zoe Starks, you get your rematch against me. But if you lose against Zoe, you have to get on your knees and say the phrase, thank you, Trish. Becky would agree to that and then Trish would, well, up it by saying, if you lose as well, you get a tattoo on your chest saying, thank you, Trish. Becky would agree to that, and then a brawl would happen between three ladies. Uh, Becky would get the advantage, take Trish face mask, place it on herself, and then headbutt Zoe when Trish would leave the ring. I already know where they're going with this. We already know Becky's going to get her match against Trish at SummerSlam. I just thought that if she did not incorporate that tattoo stipulation, maybe you at least could have put the idea of Becky probably losing again because Trish is going to interfere to Zoe, but now since they have that tattoo stipulation, we all know what's going to happen. Becky's going to beat Zoe next week, and we're going to get our SummerSlam match, Trish versus uh, Becky Lynch. Now, next up, Shinsuke Nakamura going against Bronson Reed. Bronson would win this match by disqualification thanks to Tommaso Ciampa. When Nakamura had Bronson set up for the Kinshasa, Bronson would pounce onto Nakamura, then Ciampa would appear and attack Bronson, making the referee call for the bell after the match. 
Ciampa will clothesline Bronson Reed out of the ring, and the ring announcer would announce Bronson Reed is the winner thanks to disqualification. You would then see a camera shot of Nakamura being frustrated, and he will look at Ciampa. Ciampa will be apologetic, trying to apologize to Nak. Nakamura wasn't trying to hear it, and he would kick Ciampa in the chest, and then just speak angrily to Ciampa in Japanese, then leave the ring. The reason why Tommaso Ciampa attacked Bronson Reed, for people that do not know why, last week, Ciampa had a no-disqualification match against The Miz. Bronson Reed interfered and helped out on The Miz's behalf, which gave Miz the win against Ciampa. So that's the reason why Ciampa is after Bronson. Now, we go backstage. Nakamura is upset. And the main gist of this interview that he has backstage is that Nakamura is tired of people interfering in his business. So we're more likely going to see an edgier version of Nakamura. And I'm good for this because Nakamura, he needs something. Since they took away uh, my man Rick Boogs away from him, Nakamura just hasn't been the same. And I don't understand why they should have paired those two back up. Uh, whenever Boogs came back, and because Boogs right now is just doing nothing, they should have just again tagged up Nakamura and Boogs. And again, you could have just had what you guys had before last year have those two be a team, let them rock out, let them do their deal, and have them go out there to tag team titles. But now we got Nakamura going to be edgier, and I'm cool with that. So, all right, cool. Then we go off to our main event Unified Tag Team Championship matchup. Dominic Mysterio and Damian Priest with Rhea and Finn going against the champions, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. However, Finn Balor did get taken out by Seth Rollins before the match began. You would see Seth and Finn fight with each other all the way up to the ramp. So basically it was out there Rhea Ripley just being the manager of the team of Dominic and Priest. Until later, towards the end of the match, Liv Morgan would come out and take care of Rhea by clotheslining herself and Rhea Ripley over the timeskeeper area. And this would allow uh, Sammy and Kevin Owens to win the match by pinfall when Sami Zayn would hit Dominic Mysterio with a haluva kick and Kevin Owens would hit Damian Priest with a stunner. Solid tag match to end off Monday Night Raw, but you know the deal. Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, still your unified tag team champions. And now Dominic has to go over to NXT, and we will see if he is able to capture the NXT North American Championship. And speaking of, now on to NXT. First thing to note, this NXT episode would be basically building up into the Great American Bash and also to uh, next week's episode of NXT, because next week on NXT, we will have Cora Jade going against Dana Brooke in a kendo stick match. It's basically the first person who would uh, climb up a pole, grab the kendo stick, would be able to use that candlestick in said match. So that's happening next week because Dana and Cora have been feuded with each other for about a month now. So that's where we're at with this. But NXT would start off with the NXT champion, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams coming down to the ring. Melo is out here to talk about what happened last week with Trick and Melo losing to the Judgment Day. Melo would mention how Ilya Dragunov got in their business last week. And this was sent Ilya coming to the ring. Ilya will let Melo know that he was trying to make sure that the NXT championship stays on NXT because Melo looked like he was in trouble because Damien had the money in the bank briefcase. And if he would have used that, he could have took the NXT championship to the main roster. And Ilya isn't trying to go up to the main roster to try to grab the championship back. So that was Ilya's excuse for interfering or trying to help Melo last week. And Ilya would tell Melo that Melo has started to lose control. He wasn't in control last week, and Ilya found that funny for him to say that because Ilya's known for losing control but also gaining his composure. 
We would then have Melo and Ilya both talk to one another, basically talking about their upcoming match at a Great American Bath for the NXT Championship, saying they're going to give each other their very best, and each man plans to walk out the NXT Champion. Now, later in the night, you will see Trick and Melo walk backstage, and they'll get, well, interrupted by the schism. Joe Coffey, the Dyad, uh, Ava Rain, and their minions, and you notice something off with the minions because there's one of the minions behind Joe Coffey with the yellow mask and his eyes are just going every which way, just constantly going side to side, zigzagging. And in this conversation between Mellow, Trick, and the schism, again, Ilya pulls up. Ilya's, again, sticking his nose into Mellow's business. Mellow, again, tells Ilya not to do this. And you just see uh, one of the minions that's standing behind um. Joe Gacy pushed Joe Gacy into Melo, and you just start seeing a brawl between all six members, uh, well, all three members of Schism, and Melo, Trick, and Ilya, which will lead to a six-man tag match next week, and the person who pushed Joe Gacy into Melo, it looks like that's Julius Creed, to be honest. For people that don't know or haven't been watching NXT, uh, two weeks ago, the Dyad went against the Creed brothers in a Loser leaves NXT matchup. The Creeds will lose, so it looks like they're supposed to be gone. But nope, they're just under disguise, trying to tear down the uh, schism from inside out. So that's the story that we're going with here. Nobody's going to know that until they probably play that into slow motion next week. But we'll have to wait and see when they do so. But right now, next week, six-man uh, matchup. Mellow, Trick, Ilya going against the schism. Now, first matchup that will happen on NXT was a tag team matchup. Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo going against uh, Nathan Frazier and Dragon Lee. It looks like they dropped the Los Lotharios name from Angel Garza and Humberto. Um, with due reason because of this matchup here, because Dragon and Nathan would win the match by pinfall when Dragon Lee would use Destino, which is a move that's used by New Japan pro wrestler Tosia Naito. Dragon Lee and Naito have a connection. They are both a part of a faction uh, that was started by Dragon Lee's brother, Roosh. So that's their connection there. And I like that uh, Dragon Lee used Destino here. I hope that he is, that's his uh, finisher going forward in his run in WWE because the way Dragon Lee pulled it off, it looks sick. Anyway, once the move is done, they win the match. You see Angel Garza start shouting at Humberto Carrillo outside of the ring for not Humberto uh, breaking up the pin. This made Humberto shove Angel to the mat and let Angel know that he was the one that got pinned and Humberto would just go through the crowd and walk away from Angel, but Angel would walk behind him and try to apologize to him. And it seems that we got some friction between Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo here. Now, next matchup was Gigi Dolan going against Kiana James. Kiana would win the match by pinfall thanks to Gigi wanting revenge. Uh, Kiana would grab her purse and look to use it, but Gigi would uh, take said purse from Kiana and try to use it. The ref would take the purse from Gigi, but Gigi wouldn't give it up. So now you have a back and forth between the ref and uh, Gigi Dolan. This allowed Kiana James to hit Gigi with the 401k, which is a spinning flatliner for the win. Gigi Dolan and Kiana James, they're in a feud right now because Kiana James poured paint over uh, Gigi's body, I want to say two to three weeks ago on NXT. And they just been feuding off of that because Kiana disrespects Gigi, and Gigi's not having it, so 
we're here with this, and more than likely, Gigi's going to get her revenge on Keanu James sometime down the line. Now, next up, tag team matchup, Scripps and Axiom going against the debuting Bronco Nima and Lucian Price. Uh, Bronco and Lucian would win the match by pinfall thanks to Scripps turning on Axiom. When Scripps would have Lucian's arm in a twist, and you would see Axiom tag in because Scripps asked for Axiom to tag himself in, Axiom would do so. Axiom would grab Lucian's arm. Scripps would walk away, but then he would look at Axiom and he would hit Axiom with the forearm behind the head. Then you would see Lucian and uh, Bronco just start going to work on Axiom. This allowed those two men to win the matchup here. So it looks like Scripps is now with Bronco and Lucian. And I'm not mad at this because Axiom and Scripps, their quote-unquote team was not meant to last. Axiom wanted to get away from Scripps anytime that he could. So for this to happen, I'm cool with it. And also it gives Scripps or better known as Reggie. I hope that they kill that name Scripps and just go back to Reggie next week. Uh, the opportunity to be a manager to these two big guys that need, I'm not going to say need direction, but just having a manager with two big monster guys it always looks better aesthetic wise because you need uh, some guy that's like the brains behind the operation between two big muscle heads. So for Scripps or Reggie to be that for these two guys is going to be good, at least in my idea. Now, next up was Tony D'Angelo homecoming segment. You have Tony D'Angelo in the ring with Stax and their family. Uh, Tony would explain how him and Stax came up with a plan to make it look like Stax was a rat, making Tony uh, spend some time in jail and have Gallus and everyone played by their plan just for them to get an NXT Tag Team Championship match since Gallus wouldn't give them one. Gallus will come out. Joe Coffey will say that he is looking at a bunch of rats and disgusting little lives, and he's talking about how him and Stax had a deal, and Stax went uh, against that deal on his word. So Joe Coffey has a bone to pick with Stax with this. Stax will say that he was never a rat. He's never going to be a rat, but... They're going to take the NXT Tag Team titles, titles that should have been there since Stand and Deliver. So we get that here. Gallus will get in the ring. They look to try to destroy Tony and his family, but each member of the D'Angelo family will pull out a crowbar. So now Gallus is outnumbered. Tony will send his family out of the ring. So now just Tony, Stax going against Gallus. Tony and Stax will go to work on Gallus with crowbars, putting Gallus down. They would slam Mark Coffey through a table and you will see in the end, Tony D'Angelo and Stax holding up the NXT Tag Team Championships. So we have that match made official for Great American Bash. The D'Angelo family going against Gallus for the NXT Tag Team Championships. Next matchup, Thea Hale with Ducussin in her corner going against Alexa Lopez who had Lola Vice in her corner. Thea would win this match by submission in quick fashion by locking in the Kimura Lock. Now after the match, Duke, Hudson, and Thea Hale will be in the ring. Thea would mention that she tapped out Electra Lopez the same way that she did Tiffany Stratton in their NXT Women's Championship matchup. So Thea will call for a rematch against Tiffany. The NXT Women's Champion Tiffany Stratton will come out and tell Thea that she would give her a rematch since she has beaten Thea already by pinfall. Uh, Thea would say that she wants this match to be a submission match. Thea would decline saying that when you are the champion, you make the rules and Thea Hill is not going to do anything to make her change her mind. Thea will hear this and quickly lock in the Kamara lock on Tiffany Stratton. Tiffany starts tapping out, tapping on the mat, saying, okay, I give, 
you can have the match. So we have that match made official. NXT, Great American Bash, Tiffany Stratton, Thea Hill, NXT Women's Championship in a submission match. I want to know what type of submission uh, Tiffany's going to break out for this submission match, to be honest. Is she going to break out a single leg uh, Boston Crab, an arm bar? I want to know what type of move she's going to break out since we know Thea Hill is going to use the Kimura. I would like to know what type of move uh, Tiffany's going to use. Next matchup, Oral Mensa whip Metaphor in his corner going against Eddie Thorpe. Oral Mensa would win the match by pinfall thanks to Dijak and Metaphor's interference. When Oral Mensa and Eddie Thorpe were outside of the ring, Lash Legend would grab a prone Noam Dar and put him in the ring. Noam Dar is still prone. He's still acting uh, like an immovable object because he is still in the depression state from losing the um, Heritage Cup to Nathan Frazier, even though Noam Dar didn't get pinned or nothing for it. Oral Mensa technically lost it on... Uh, Noam Dar's, like, behalf. So, Noam is still in that depression, not wanting to move state. Uh, Last Legend would throw, well, put Noam Dar in the ring, and he would just lay there. The referee would try to get uh, Noam out of the ring, and the referee would miss Dijak appearing and hitting Eddie Thorpe with a big boot to the face. Now, again, if you haven't been watching NXT these past weeks, uh, Dijak is taking offense to people saying Eddie Thorpe is the toughest man in NXT since Eddie Thorpe had a match against Damon Kemp two weeks ago, NXT's uh, underground matchup, which if you haven't seen it, it is a good match. It is great. Uh, Go to their Peacock. Well, go to Peacock, go to WWE NXT and go and watch that matchup. Trust me, it's one of the matches that you do need to see um, from this year. And Everybody's just giving high praise to Eddie Thorpe for that matchup. So Dijak's taking offense to this. So that's the reason why he has a beef with Eddie Thorpe. So Dijak would appear, hit Eddie with a big boot to the face. Oral Mensa would get in the ring and get uh, Noam out of the ring. The referee would start counting Eddie out until Eddie would get back in the ring at the count of nine. But in the end, Eddie would eat a big uh, running cartwheel kick to the face from Oral Mensa, which allowed Oro to get the win here. So Oral Mensa gets the win, Eddie Thorpe loses, but you can now see Dijak and Eddie Thorpe is now going to have more beef as their rivalry is starting to intensify now. Then we go to our main event for the NXT North American Championship. Dominic Mysterio with Rhea Ripley in his corner going against the champion Wesley. And we have a new NXT North American Champion, Dominic Mysterio, and he would win this match by pinfall thanks to interference from the Judgment Day. When Wesley looks like he has his match won, he will hit Dominic Mysterio with a spiral tap off the top turnbuckle. And you just start seeing Finn Balor appear from nowhere. And he just gets on the apron to strike the referee. You would see uh, Damian Priest coming with the NXT North American Championship. And he would try to hit West with it. West would duck it and he would hit the cardiac kick on Damian Priest. Now Priest is down. Dominic's down. West is in the corner. You see him start getting himself hyped up to try to hit another cardiac kick, but Rhea Ripley would run up on the apron, run over, and hit Wesley with the Women's World Championship, and this would crack Wes, and this would make Wes drop to the mat. You would see Dominic start, like, crawling over to Wes, drape his arm on Wes's body, and the referee would make the count, one, two, three, 
and Dominic is now your new NXT North American champion. So one day from literally losing and eating the pin from his tag team matchup against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn to now the next day, him becoming a individual singles champion, NXT North American champion. I'm not mad at this. I'm glad that Dominic has singles gold. I'm not going to lie to you. I thought Dominic was going to lose. But with them pushing the idea of Judgment Day, really trying to run the WWE as a whole unit, not just running, wanting to run the main roster. No, they actually are willing to go down to NXT and go and take championships down there. I'm not mad at this. I've said it in the past episodes, NXT getting main roster uh, guys and gals coming down there to do their business down there. It is good for NXT. This is something that we didn't get to see in the black and gold era. And I wish to God we would have because boy, it would have really boosted up WWE morale and it would have boosted up people wanting to see NXT and possibly even see cross branding of NXT roster back then going up to the main roster and do couple things up there then going back down to NXT just to have that uh time to say yeah I went to the main roster I did this did that just for the main roster fans to say okay let me check out NXT to see what's going on down there and it seems that's what we're getting now with main roster guys and gals coming down to NXT and winning championships down there it's just basically going to boost up viewership for NXT and it's boosting up People on the main roster saying, hey, I might want to go down there and do some with NXT, help out the young talent down there, and also just boost up their stock. So I see this as a win-win for Dominic. People were complaining that Dominic should have been in NXT whenever uh, the COVID stuff happened, or, and even in 2021, people thought that he would have been in NXT. And, uh, well, here's your chance. You get to have him now in NXT. He's going to be the NXT North American champion. But I do have to wonder one thing. Solo Sokoa last year, he won the North American Championship off of Carmelo Hayes. Are they going to try to pull one of those on Dominic here and say, yo, dog, you got to relinquish that belt? Or are they actually going to have Dominic literally de- like defend that championship on NXT television, go into the NXT uh, premium live events and defend it there? Because Great American Bash is coming up, so I could probably see him doing that against Wes there. But... Uh, we'll have to wait and see with that. But for right now, we have a new NXT North American champion, Dominic Mysterio. Judgment Day as a new uh, piece of gold into their camp. Rhea, the women's world champion. Uh, Damian Priest, senior money in the bank. And now Dom, the NXT North American champion. We just need Finn to, well, get some type of gold or get some object underneath his uh, waist. And then the, now we can literally say Judgment Day is starting to rule the roost of WWE. But... Uh, time will tell with that, right? Now, with that being said, that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to AEW Dynamite. And Dynamite this week was straight up just blood and guts. Yes, you had a couple matches to fill out the first hour, but literally the 9 to 10 o'clock, even 10.05, because it ran a little bit after, was nothing but blood and guts. So let's get to the first hour. First matchup, we will have FTW Championship on the line with Jack Perry challenging Hook for said championship. Jack Perry has dropped the Jungle Boy character. He killed that character off in his entrance. He had a special video package of uh, Jack Perry dragging the Jungle Boy character. You don't see him in the gear. You just see the Jungle Boy boots 
and somebody in them just being dragged off in like a desert. Uh, Jack Perry uh, digs a hole, drops his body in, covers the uh, hole up. So Jungle Boy is dead, and now we live with this Jack Perry uh, persona here. And Jack Perry comes out in black leather pants, black leather jacket. Uh, I believe it's Symphony Number no. Nine by Beethoven. People on Twitter were commenting on the music. I personally don't care. Um, Jack Perry will become the new FTW champion by beating Hook uh, when the referee was down because Hook was trying to hit Jack Perry with a T-bone suplex. Jack Perry would knock the referee down. Hook would execute the move. Uh, the FTW championship was in the ring already. Hook would try to wake up the ref. Ref wouldn't get up. Hook would go over to Jack Perry. Perry would hit Hook with the FTW championship. And he would cover Hook to win said championship. So now Jack Perry is new FTW champion. Okay, cool. Jack Perry is FTW champion. He uh, did what he said he was going to do before the year is out. He's going to win some championship gold. So now he has a championship under his uh, waist. And it's just funny because now you have Christian and Luchasaurus who are dual or co-owners of the TNT championship, even though Luchasaurus is technically the champion, but Christian uh, holds it. Um, Jungle Boy is a champion himself, so now, literally, Jurassic Express has championship gold in AEW, and now their whole deal is nothing but being bad guys now, but they're not together. Luchasaurus is with Christian, Jungle Boy, well, scratch that, Jack Perry is by himself, and it's just going to be fun to see how you are going to get these three guys intermingling because there's going to be some backstage segments. There's got to be before we uh, turn one of the three guys back to being good guys again. There's got to at least be one segment where all three of them at least look at each other and Christian says something smart and Jack Perry at least acknowledges what Christian said. But that's into the future. Right now, Jack Perry is the FTW champion. Hook is going to be going after that championship because that's a championship that his father created in ECW, so you know that's coming. Uh, the title match, it was a straight, solid title match here. You had uh, Hook hitting a T-bone suplex off the ring apron, and uh, Jungle Boy, God, Jack Perry, he would hit the floor and emit a hard thud. Uh, Hook actually got some offense here, but Jack Perry, he's the new FTW champion. I just want to see where they go with this. Next up, Britt Baker going against Kayla Sparks. Britt would win the match by submission using the lockjaw. This was a squash match. Okay, cool. Next up, finals for the tag team uh, tournament. Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia going against MGF and Adam Cole. Chris Jericho will be on commentary for this matchup here. But before the match can even start, you will see Daniel Garcia do his little dance and uh, hump MGF. He would mimic Daniel Garcia. Daniel Garcia would do it again. MGF would mimic it again, and every time the ref was trying to, like, ring for the bell, you would see Daniel Garcia and MGF, like, stop the ref, MGF would go out and just play music, and now we have a dance battle between Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia going against MGF and Adam Cole. This is really the sports entertainment that AEW has been really getting into with MJF since his whole reign as AEW champion, literally. Like, before he was champion, yes, we got sports entertainment stuff from MJF. I've never said he wasn't that, but I say since he has been champion, we have been really going into the sports entertainment with 
MGF here from his bar mitzvah, well, rebar mitzvah, to uh, him anytime they're in Long Island, uh, him with the orchestra, him singing, him getting the key to the city, to now this with the dance battle for the tag team matchup. I mean, they are really leaning into the sports entertainment part for AEW, and I wasn't mad at it. I found it hilarious, to be honest with you. But in the matchup here, MGF and Adam Cole would win the match when they would hit Daniel Garcia with a double clothesline to win said match. During the match here, you had MJF hitting a suicide dive on Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia. MJF had to get hyped up by Adam Cole. At first, he didn't want to do it, but then he fell to the pressure of everybody, and he did it, and he was surprised when he did do it. The whole crowd really just popped, and they really like jumped up out of their seats for when MJF did do it. They also jumped out of their seats whenever they were able to execute the double clothesline onto Daniel Garcia. And I just want to make a note of this. Um, old-timey wrestlers and even wrestlers on the AEW rosters that are veterans, that are back there, they have been saying willingly, like in interviews, that the young guys, they need to stop doing moves that will injure themselves and stop doing moves that will injure themselves on a frequent basis because once you do that it takes all the specialness it takes all the uh gravitas out of said move that is difficult to hit but whenever you're able to hit it week by week it looks so simple and the fans are just expecting you to do it so for adam cole and mgf to hit a double clothesline which they have been literally popping up as the legit storyline beat for each match that they have for the last two weeks and they were able to execute it here, and the crowd really just popped for that. That proves that a veteran is right, that, you know, simple moves with proper build can get the fans to really jump out of their seats the way that a crazy move that looks like it could injure you would do. So for anybody that's in the wrestling business that's trying to learn something, I will say just look at this match right here, and you can see what the veterans are saying, and you can actually... uh equip that into your arsenal build up a move so when you execute it and hit it the fans will actually appreciate it and it will actually help you out later trust me because uh again two of the best professional wrestlers adam cole and mgf they proved it on dynamite anywho after the match we now know mgf and adam cole they're going to be the number one contenders for the aew tag team championships uh chris jericho he will leave the commentary table you will wait on the entrance ramp he will wait there for Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara to be there so he can so he can console his guys. But you will see Sammy and Daniel just walk past Chris Jericho because Jericho, at the moment, he has no idea whether he wants to join Don Callis' family or still continue doing the JAS. So Sammy and Daniel Garcia are not really jiving with Jericho, not really making his decision. So that's the reason why they sidestep Jericho here. We would go to the ring. The referee's holding MGF's belt. MGF is just leaning on the ropes, not looking at the ref or Adam. Adam Cole would grab the title away from the referee. He looks like he's about to walk over to MGF to hand it over to him, but Adam Cole will stop. He will look at the world title. MGF will turn around and see Adam looking at the title, and he will rush over like a kid just grabbing his toy from his friend, and he will ask Adam Cole, what are you doing? And you just see 
Adam Cole just tried to tell MJF, listen, I'm trying to give you your belt. I was going to give it to you. And MJF is upset. He has trust issues. But remember, MJF is the devil and a snake. So take that with a grain of salt for what you will. You will see those two. Well, MJF tried to berate Adam. Adam just constantly telling MJF, I was trying to give you your belt. MJF would take a breath and he would say, you know what? My bad. This one's on me. My fault. Those two will hug it out. And once they let go, Adam Cole will go to the turnbuckle and he will pose. And MGF would just look at Adam Cole. So you could tell MGF probably has something brewing in his mind, probably to stab Adam Cole in the back. Once that happens, FTR will come out because FTR are the AEW Tag Team Champions. And also, side note, if you did not watch Collision from last week, you need to see it because FTR had a great two out of three false tag team title match with Jay White and Juice Robinson. I will suggest you highly go out of your way to watch that match. Somebody has to have it on YouTube or somewhere on the internet if you can't get it on your uh, streaming, uh, well, cable platforms, if you will. Anyway, getting back to it, FTR would get in the ring. They would face off with Adam Cole and MGF to further prompt up their upcoming tag team title match on Collision on June 29th. Now we get to the main event, Blood and Guts, the Golden Elite, which has Kota Ibushi, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Page going against the Blackpool Combat Club's John Moxley, the ROH World Champion Claudio Castagnoli, and Willie Yuta tagging along with Kanosuke Takeshita and Pac. Claudio and Kenny would start the match for their respective teams, and Blackpool Combat Club having the advantage, they would send out a man uh, first off, and it would be Pac, then Hangman will come out, then John Moxley, then Nick Jackson, then Willie Yuta, then Matt Jackson, then Takeshita, then finally Kota Ibushi. Now, uh, the Golden Elite, they would win this bloody match by surrender when Hangman Page had the chain wrapped around Willie Yuta's neck, and John Moxley, he couldn't save Yuta because he was handcuffed, and Hangman would pull on that chain, and Moxley would have to say that he surrenders, so that gave the Golden Elite the win here. What I did like is how they went back to the finish of John Moxley and Hangman Page's match that they had, which was a no-holds-barred at AEW Revolution earlier this year. They basically did the exact same spot here with Yuta getting choked out the same way that Moxley got choked out. So for Moxley to surrender this match right here, it brought back to Moxley tapping out in Moxley and Hangman Page at uh, their match at Revolution. So I like that they did that. Uh, this was a bloody brawl. This was a bloody match. Moxley, he bled the most out of everybody here. But everybody didn't get blood, but everybody at least, I feel, got some like kind of puncture wounds on them. Moxley, however, would be the first guy to bring weapons into the match. He would bring in forks, and he would start stabbing people first. He would then pull out a, a container that had broken glass. And later in the match, he would bring out a bed of nails and he would slam Kenny on it. And then he would even like, uh, stomp Kenny's hand on the bed of nails. Yuta would bring in a chair. Takeshita would bring in a chair. Uh, Kenny Omega later towards the end of the night, he would bring a table into the match, which got used against the golden elite. When Matt Jackson or Nick Jackson was on the table, Pac was like hanging 
off like one of the uh beams support beams and he would just dive off of it and hit a diving uh foot stomp onto Matt Jackson or Nick to smash the table and that looked sick. Um the biggest thing that really come out of this was the abandonment of Pack and Takesha towards the end of the match. Yes, we got Takesha here going uh, toe-to-toe with Ibushi from time to time. And yes, we had Ibushi making his AEW debut. Cool. I'm not mad at that. I'm going to say cool because we didn't get to really see the full extent of Ibushi because this is a multi-man matchup. We didn't get to see the Ibushi of New Japan yet. This is everybody's first viewing of Ibushi if you're not used to um, New Japan professional wrestling when Ibushi was there. So for him to be in this matchup, it didn't really showcase the Ibushi for what people wanted to see. So that's why I say, okay, great. He was in the match. Cool. But the biggest takeaway from this was, again, the abandonment. You had Pac literally leaving the Blackpool Combat Club towards the end of the match whenever you start seeing the miscommunication in uh, the Blackpool Combat Club and Pac and Takeshita when they had... Kenny in the corner, and they were all running towards Kenny. You got everybody was able to hit Kenny except for Pac. Kenny reversed out of it, and he shoved Pac into a corner. Claudio would run over and try to hit Pac with, well, Kenny with a uppercut. Kenny would move. Claudio would hit Pac with the uppercut. Claudio wouldn't pay that no mind. Pac, however, he took exception to this. He turns Claudio around. He starts shoving Claudio because early in the night, in that match, they had another miscommunication between said two guys, Claudio and Pac. So you already have something brewing there. Uh, Mox, Yuta, Takeshita would try to calm down Pac. Pac isn't trying to hear it. He would flip them completely off. And he would just grab bolt cutters, pop the lock, and just leave the cage. So now it's four on five. Now, once the Blackpool Comic Club is starting to get beat down, Don Callis, he will start waving to Takeshita to leave the ring, and Takeshita will leave. So now it's literally the Blackpool Combat Club's guys against all five of the Golden Elite, which set up for uh, Yuta to get choked out, Moxley to get handcuffed, and wasn't able to do nothing. So we already have all that stuff here. We now have the end of this rivalry. The Golden Elite are here in AEW, more specifically, Kota Ibushi's here in AEW. Let's see where that goes. Let's see if we're going to get the Young Bucks going against the Golden Lovers or even Hangman going against Kota Ibushi. I don't know what's going to go down since Kota's here. And since now the Elite are done with uh, Blackpool Comic Club, only thing I know is I want to see Pac going against Claudio on AEW television, Pac going against Moxley somewhere on AEW television. Hell, bring back the Lucha Brothers with Pac on AEW television to go against the Blackpool Combat Club. Because why not? I mean, that was Pac's guys, the Lucha Bros. So we can do something with all three of these guys going against those three guys. And still, we have the lingering effect of Don Callis, who's still trying to recruit Chris Jericho, who might go with Don Callis, might not. But Don Callis, he wants to eliminate Kenny Omega and the. Young Bucks and Adam Page out of all elite wrestling. So I want to see who he's able to recruit in his family. But yeah, Blood and Guts, it was solid. Is it the most bloodiest match? Well, Blood and Guts match that they had? No, I'll say this is probably their third uh, bloodiest match. 
The second one, last year, Blackpool Comic Club going against the Jericho Appreciation Society. That's the first. And the first match was probably their second most bloodiest. So that's how I would rank it, even in the ways that I like it. I like their second Blood and Gust match more uh, more than the first and this last one. So my rankings would be the second Blood and Guts match, uh, the third Blood and Guts match, and the first one. That would be my ranking for the list right now for Blood and Guts. But yeah, everything was fine. Everything was great. Go and watch Blood and Guts. And with that, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over into Impact Wrestling. And before I get into the episode that happened this week, I want to get into Slammiversary, which happened this past Saturday. The big takeaways from Slammiversary was we had multiple new champions. We have a new X Division champion, Leo Rush defeated Chris Saban. We have a new tag team champions, Subculture won the titles from uh, Ace Austin and Chris Bay in a Fatal 4-Way match that included... Brian Myers and Moose and Rich Swan and Sammy Callahan. We have a new digital media champion, Kenny King, defeated Joe Hendry. We have new Knockouts World Tag Team Champions, Killer Kelly and Masha Slamovich, defeated The Coven. And we have a new Impact uh, Knockouts World Champion with Trinity defeating Deanna Perrazzo to become the Knockouts World Champion. The only championship that did not change hands was Alex Shelley. Alex Shelley Retained his title when he defeated uh, Nick Aldis. Also, we had two surprise returns back to Impact. The first was Eric Young. Eric Young was the surprise team partner of Scott Demore. Um, I had a feeling it was going to be Eric Young because Eric Young was supposed to uh, be with WWE, but we never saw him on WWE television. And with PCO going down, I just had a feeling. I said, I think it's going to be Eric Young. And once I got the highlights of Impact and I saw Eric Young there, I was like, okay, I knew it. And more reports came out of saying that Eric Young, he um, signed a deal with WWE. He asked for his release. They granted it. And Eric Young did do an interview with some publication. And the gist of the interview when asked about that question was that basically he got sold a bill of goods. It was one thing was supposed to happen, but with wrestling, everything always changes, and we all know what that means. Triple H was in control, but then Vince McMahon got back in the seat. Eric Young wasn't going to try to work for uh, Vince McMahon. He already said at one interview when he got released in 2020 um, how he didn't like how Vince had nothing for him. So Eric Young didn't want to go back to that, so that's the reason why he asked for his release, and WWE granted it. So now he's back at Impact. And the second return on anniversary would be the surprise return of Josh Alexander. Because last time we saw Josh, he had his arm in a sling. Um, his arm was injured. I believe he tore some type of muscle or something in his arm. He had to relinquish the world championship. And now he's back in Impact. So those were the surprise appearances on uh, anniversary and the big events that happened at anniversary. Now, moving over into the actual show on uh, Impact this past week, we will start off with Scott Demore being in the ring. Scott Demore would be out there to thank the people for giving him an unbelievable night and anniversary. Scott would say that he would cherish the moment being in the ring with Team Canada members A1, Eric Young, and NHL legend Derek McCarty. So with that said, 
Scott Demore is back in his position as the man in charge of Impact. Scott would proceed to run down the matches uh, that's uh, going to happen on Impact later that night. And he will be interrupted by the Good Hands, Jason Hodge and John Schuyler. Uh, the Good Hands would run down Scott Demore and call him a coward for taking back his position before they can get their hands on him. So Scott Demore would call for the Good Hands to get in the ring. And he would tell them since they're amped up and they're dressed to compete, he has a team for them to compete against, and it's Rishwan and Sammy Callahan. So we would have that match to start Impact, and the winners of said match will be Sammy Callahan and Rich Swan. when Rich and Sammy would hit Jason Hotch with the T gimmick, which is a double razor's edge. Uh, people that follow independent wrestling in the early 2000s, they would know that is the finishing move of a CZW tag team called the Backseat Boys. Members were Trent Acid. And Johnny Cashmere, Trent Acid, he passed away, uh, I believe, about a decade ago. So, again, rest in peace to Trent Acid. So, I feel that they are paying homage to the Backseat Boys because Rich Swan and Sammy Callahan, they both come, to, well, they come from the school of CZW. So, I feel that they're doing that, and I like that they paid homage to them. But Rich Swan and Sammy, they would win the matchup here. Next matchup will be Jake Something, who made his surprise return back to Impact at some anniversary. I forgot to mention that. And he went against Kevin Knight. Jake Something would win the match by pinfall using the Black Hole Slam. It's good to see Jake Something back here in Impact. I promise you, I thought he would have got signed by WWE or AEW because he has a big physical look. Plus, he can move around in the ring, and that's the kind of style that's being used now in AEW and in WWE. So when he was in Impact and he left, I thought, okay, this would be the perfect time for WWE or AEW to quickly snatch him up. And since they didn't, he's back at Impact. Hopefully Impact uses him and puts him in a great position, but only time will tell. So I'm glad to see Jake something back here. Now, next matchup was Courtney Rush with Jessica in her corner going against Savannah Evans, who had Jay Vidal and Giselle Shaw in her corner. Courtney would win the match by pinfall when Courtney would hit a spear on Savannah Evans when Savannah would see Jay being carried to the back by Jody Threat. Backstory of this, Jody Threat, Jessica, and Courtney Rush went against Giselle Shaw, Savannah Evans, and Jay Vidal on the Slammiversary pre-show, so they still have some lingering uh, troubles here, so that's the reason why Jody got involved here, so that's that. Next matchup. Dirty Dango going against Santino Marella. They have a feud going on here. Santino finally gets his hand on Dirty Dango, but Dango would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference in a man dressed in black, also wearing a helmet when he would run down to the ring. Get on the apron, stop Santino from using the Cobra. Dango would hit Santino with a knee to the back, then roll him up for the win. Now, after the match, Dango would hug the man in black. And he would take the helmet off of him, revealing that it's Johnny Bravo. He's a former referee and a former manager of Taya Valkyrie when she was in Impact. So Bravo's now aligned himself with Dango here. And the feud between Dango and Santino just going to continue on. Next matchup, a rematch for the Impact Tag Team Championships. It's Ace Austin and Chris Bay going against Subculture with Danny Luna in their corner. Subculture would retain their championships by pinfall, thanks in part to the Rascals interfering when Mark Andrews and Chris Bay were down on the mat. Zachary Wentz would rush to get on the ring apron to distract the referee. 
And this will allow Trey Miguel to hit Ace Austin with a Meteora outside of the ring. Um, the ending sequence would be Chris Bay and Mark Andrews trading uh, back and forth pin attempts until Mark would get the better of the exchange for the win. Slip Slip Culture is still your Impact Tag Team Champions, and the Rascals still have a beef with Ace Austin and Chris Bay because this stems back to last week's episode of Impact where Zachary Wentz beat Chris Bay, and with that win, Wentz and Trey Miguel thought they were going to be added to the Slammiversary tag team matchup for the Impact tag titles, and that didn't happen. So they have frustration. They still have anger towards Ace Austin and Chris Bay for that, so they're going to continue to uh, give them their frustration until they get a shot at the Impact Tag Team Championships. Now, in our main event segment, we had Josh Alexander coming down to the ring to give everybody an update on his uh, condition. Josh will first recall the time that he had the relinquished the world champion. He would mention that he was proud to have represented Impact as the world champion. Josh would mention that when he saw Steve Macklin win the world championship, uh, he started to bust his hump to start rehabbing his arm day by day. And now he is here to announce that he is 100% clear for in-ring competition. Josh would say that he is glad to see Alex Shelley uh, win the Impact World Championship, a championship that Josh never lost. Josh would give props to Alex Shelley for being one of the best at wrestling, but he would have a question. Is Alex Shelley good enough to beat Josh Alexander? Now, this would send down the Impact World Champion Alex Shelley down to the ring. Alex would say, you know what? Cool. I only had a shot at the Impact Championship twice. The last time I had a shot, I beat Steve Macklin for it. But the first time, it was against you, and I didn't get the win. So if you want a shot, we can run it back again. So you think we're going to get a rematch between Alex Shelley and Josh Alexander. But hold on. Out walks out the X-Division champion, Leo Rush. Rush would have to put a stop to this, and he would say, listen, I can still cash in my opportunity for option C, and for people that don't know and that are not familiar with Impact and X Division and all that good stuff, if you have the X Division championship, for a certain reason, they'll do this randomly throughout the year, more than likely towards the end of the year. Um, if you are holding the X Division championship, you can cash in that opportunity to relinquish it and you're a number one contender for the impact world championship so you have a shot at the impact world title and leah rush is saying that he could cash that in right now but out walks out kushida kushida won an ultimate x match at slammiversary so he's the number one contender for the x division championship he would tell leah rush he's not going to be able to exercise option c until he beats him so now we have Leo Rush, Kushida, uh, Alex Shelley, and Josh Alexander in the ring. Then out walks Bully Ray. Bully Ray would be on the entrance stage. And you could just see Alex Shelley, Kushida, and Josh Alexander looking at Bully. But they don't see Moose and Brian Myers come in the ring behind him. And he would have them just blast uh, Alexander, Kushida, and Shelley. Leo Rush, he stands to the side just watching the beatdown happen. And Impact would end with just Bully Ray, Moose, and Brian Myers just beating up on Alexander, Shelley, and Kushida. So that's how Impact would end. 
it was a good episode of Impact, which is nothing but a recap episode, but it gives you the lay of the land of what's coming up next in the following weeks to come. And with that being said, that's your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to Friday Night SmackDown. And with SmackDown being in Orlando, the home of NXT, we would have some cameos from the NXT roster. Uh, you have Wesley and Dragon Lee being an audience during the first match. Tony D'Angelo and Stax will be backstage. The Kree Brothers will be backstage. The NXT Women's Champion, Tiffany Stratton, she will be in the audience during the women's match. Trick and Mello would be in the audience. Then they will have a backstage uh, segment with Bobby Lashley later in the night. And it seems, first and foremost, that Bobby Lashley is like gathering people for, I think he's trying to make a group. Because last week, Bobby Lashley, he showed up to the arena and he talked to the Street Profits and they got into a vehicle with him last week and they drove off. This week, Bobby talked to Carmelo and Trick. So Bobby might be just formating his own group and I'm not mad at it. People might be saying the Herb Business 2.0, but we'll have to wait and see what that happens. But it was good to see Bobby talk to uh, Melo and Trick Williams. Now, we'll get off to SmackDown. They'll retrace what happened last week with uh, Jay Uso um, going after Solo and Paul Heyman last week. After they do that whole recapping, you would start off seeing Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, and Solo walking backstage as this is hyping up the uh, confrontation between Roman and Jay towards the end of the night. Um, after that, we get to our first matchup. Fatal 4-Way match for the U.S. Uh, Championship Invitational. It is Rey Mysterio going against Sheamus, going against Cameron Grimes, going against L.A. Knight, the most over dude in this matchup, and dare I say, the most over guy throughout that night. Um, Austin Theory, he will be at ringside for this matchup here. Ray would win the match by pinfall using a Hurricanrana on Cameron Grimes. Now, during the match, Austin Theory, he would get involved and attack Ray Mysterio because earlier in said match, Ray would counter a move from Cameron Grimes outside of the ring and send Cameron into the direction of Theory. So Theory took that personally. So Theory attacked Ray. Santos would run down to the ring and attack Austin Theory. And this will allow Rey Mysterio to get back in the ring, get back in the match, and win said match. Now, next week, it will be Santos Escobar going against Rey Mysterio. And the winner of that match will be the number one contender for the United States Championship. However, later in the night, you will see Austin Theory, the U.S. Champion, meeting with Adam Pearce. And he will say that he wanted a match with Santos because Santos disrespected him. And Theory would get his match made for later in the night to go against Santos. Now, second matchup, Charlotte Flair going against Io Sky with Bailey in Io's corner. Charlotte would win the match by pinfall using natural selection. Now, towards the end of the match, you will see Bailey get distracted with a video package from Shotzi. Shotzi is terrorizing Bailey because Bailey cut a piece of Shotzi's hair a couple weeks ago. And last week, Shotzi decided to shave off her hair completely to let Bailey know that Bailey does not have control over Shotzi. So with the video playing, Bailey becomes terrified. She starts looking around to see where Shotzi is. This will lead to Bailey basically leaving the ring and leaving Eo all by herself. And this will lead to Eo's demise. Now, immediately after the match, Asuka would appear behind Charlotte and hit her with a German suplex, then lock in the arm bar. The referee 
for that match will come in and get Asuka off of Charlotte as this was another way for them to build up their upcoming match at SummerSlam. It's going to be a triple threat match for the Women's Championship. It's Asuka defending her title against Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair. Next matchup after this, we have Austin Theory going against Santos Escobar. Santos would win this match by pinfall using the Phantom Driver after hitting a Hurricanrana off the top turnbuckle. Solid match between Austin Theory and Santos, but with Santos going against Rey Mysterio next week, it kind of would, uh, would defeat the purpose for Santos to beat Rey. And then you see, okay, we're going to get Santos versus Theory, and Theory's going to win that because that's usually how WWE does their whole uh, booking. Or if they go the other way route, we're probably going to see Theory uh, cost Santos the match next week. Ray wins it, and Santos is probably going to mess around with Theory, and then that's going to cause some distinction within Santos and Ray and LWO. They got different routes to go here, but I still see Austin Theory kind of retaining his championship here all in the end. If he happens to lose it, that would be fine because people have been saying that Theory has been a boring United States champion. They have done nothing with him, and I can't kind of disagree with it because Theory as champion, he hasn't done much. The only thing that he's done, well, relevant technically was his match with uh, John Cena at WrestleMania, and that wasn't really much to really ride out home about. So we'll have to wait and see what they do with Theory in the United States Championship. Are they going to have him lose it to either Ray or Santos? We'll have to wait and see. Now, next up was the NXT North American Championship match with Butch with Ridge Holland in his corner going against the champion, Dominic Mysterio, who had Rhea Ripley in his corner. This match gets made because Dominic is backstage with Rhea. He's bragging about being the North American champion. Butch would walk up to him and say, since we're in Orlando, the home of NXT, and you're the North American champion, why not put the title on the line? Dominic would say, you know what? We don't have somebody from NXT that can kind of make this match. And Shawn Michaels would appear. Sean will say we can make that match happen. I just got to talk to Pierce, and ta-da, this is the match. Um, Pretty deadly. They will come down to the ring and get Ridge Holland to chase them to the back. So now Butch is by himself, and this will lead to Butch's demise because with nobody watching Butch's back, Dom has Rhea as his tool to victory when Rhea would chop block Butch on the ring apron. Dom will grab Butch, throw him into the ring post, throw him into the ring, and then pin him to retain his NXT North American Championship. Now, after this, we get to our big main event segment, the confrontation between Jey Uso and Roman Reigns for their rules of engagement for their match coming up at SummerSlam. You have uh, Solo with Roman and Paul Heyman out here. Jey, he's by himself. They have the contract table. You think there's going to be a regular contract signing segment, but it's not. Roman is out here. First and foremost, he's being boisterous as usual. And you just see Jay sitting there. He's serious. And with Jay's seriousness, you could kind of see that it made Roman kind of nervous. Roman would have the contract there. He would sign it. Jay wouldn't sign it. He would tear up the contract and tell Roman that they don't need a contract. Their contract is in their bloodline. And Jay would announce that their match would be a battle in tribal combat, which would mean anything goes. Basically, a no-holds-barred matchup at SummerSlam. Roman would be surprised by hearing trial by combat, and he would ask Jay, does the elders know about this? And Jay would tell Roman, point blank, this was their idea. 
So Roman, he's kind of stunned there, but again, he has that bravado. And he will say that, you know what, I've been running WWE for about a decade. He would take the title off and place the title on the table. And he said, we could do this right now. Jay would tell Roman again, tribal combat. And Jay would see Roman seize up. And Roman knows what that means. And Roman would just clutch onto the tribal necklace. And Paul Heyman would walk over to Roman and say, not to do this. We can go to the back. You don't have to do this. Roman would take the tribal necklace off, place it on the championship. Roman and Jay would meet at the end of the table. They would grip hands together in a shake of agreement and then place their heads against one another in a symbolic-like statement to basically signal off that this trial by combat is a real deal. It's going to happen. So when they let go of their handshake, Roman would kind of walk away and he would just look at Jay and he would just nod his head and Jay would nod his head back at Roman. And you kind of see they have a respect for each other at this. Solo, on the other hand, he will look at Roman and he got a look of disgust like you're not going to try to attack him, no nothing. So Solo, he would just get furious. He'll flip the table over, grab Jay, look to hit him with the Samoa Spike. But Roman, he would quickly grab Solo's arm and just hold it. Solo will look at Roman. Roman will look at Solo. And this will allow Jey Uso to hit Solo with a super kick. Solo would drop. Roman will look at Jay. Roman would then leave the ring and Jay's in the ring by himself. Solo is there holding his face. Roman is holding the tribal necklace. And that's how SmackDown will end. And you could tell the symbolic nature of this is that this is no longer about the Universal WWE Championship. This is about who is going to be the tribal chief, the guy to lead their family basically into the future between Roman and Jay. Roman, he has carried that whole tribal chief uh, crown for going on three years now. And Roman, he has a feeling that his time is up, but with him shaking hands with Jay, giving the head nod to each other. And you just see that Roman has some respect for Jay because he knows this is a strong type of match that they're about to enter. You can tell that Roman's kind of almost at a sense, I can even sense of peace of saying, you know what, if this is where we're going, this is what we're doing. Fine. I respect it. And it comes from them. Let's do it. Solo. He's just that young guy that doesn't seem to respect this. He got into this group last year with Roman being dominant, and now he's starting to see Roman not be so dominant. And you can kind of tell that Solo kind of wants to grab the ball and run with it. You can tell that's where this whole thing is going next with Solo being that guy. But we'll have to wait and see what happened with that. And Jay, he just wants to take up and do what's right. He wants to stand up for his family, lead them down the right path. And we'll have to wait and see because now their match is happening in two weeks at SummerSlam. So we'll wait and see what happens. But with that, that was a nice way to end SmackDown. Now, moving away from SmackDown, we'll go over to AEW Rampage. And I forgot to mention this on my Dynamite uh, talk. I wanted to talk about Collision because last week's Collision, we saw the finals of the Owen Hart Tournament. You had Ruby Soho losing to Willow Nightingale in the finals. So Ruby lost. This is her second year in a row of the Owen Hart 
a tournament finals. Willow is your women's Owen Hart uh, tournament champion for the women women's division. While on the men's side, we had Ricky Starks beating CM Punk by grabbing the ropes in a uh, pinfall. And Ricky Starks, he is your men's winner for the Owen Hart tournament. And to be honest, I'm happy that they did this because Ricky, he's been a good guy for, I want to say, about a year now. And he was great as a good guy, but just to see him now be doing this to Punk, of all people, Punk, who CM Punk and FTR, they came to Ricky Stark's uh, saving whenever Ricky was getting beat up by Jay White and Juice Robinson, for Ricky to do that to Punk, that's just another added extra level of just salt in the wound. So it's going to be fun to see what CM Punk has to say to Ricky Starks on Collision, but that was just something I forgot to mention. But congrats to uh, Willow and Ricky for winning the Owen Hart uh, tournaments this year. Now, on to Rampage. First match that we have is the Rampage Royale, basically a Royal Rumble style match, but instead of one ring, it's two rings since this is the week that they had blood and guts. And Darby Allen, he would win this uh, Royal Rampage by lastly uh, eliminating Swerve Strickland with a suicide dive. So this is a great way for Darby to get a win, and Darby will be facing off against whoever is the TNT champion at All Out. So that's going to be a nice nice way to build up something because Darby can easily go against anybody. I think Darby is the perfect like modern day, I would like to say Mikey Whiprack. If anybody watched ECW like way back like in the 90s and even like towards their end of the ECW like company. Mikey Weirback, he first came in as a guy that basically just took a beating from the wrestlers, and then slowly but surely, he started being the underdog. Still taking beatings, but somehow finding ways to win matches. He ended up becoming tag champions with Mick Foley, becoming world champion over there in ECW. I just feel that Darby is this new generation of that, but he has a mixture of Jeff Hardy and a mixture of the Sting, which they have that it factor that uh enigma that you just don't know why you like them you just do but Darby he is that guy I think that he can be put against anybody who they want to be as TNT champion they're here they're going to just basically have a good match with Darby because they're going to be able to throw him around but he's going to be able to counter it and do what needs to be done so I can't wait to see who's going to be TNT champion when uh, Darby goes against that person at all out next matchup trios match QTV, which consists of QT Marshall, Johnny TV, Aaron Solo, going against the Acclaim and Billy Gunn. The Acclaim and Billy Gunn would win the match by pinfall when uh, Anthony Bowens would hit the arrival on Aaron Solo, and then Max Caster would hit the mic drop, and Billy would cover to win the match for their team. After the match, Anthony Bowens would get a mic and say that on collision they plan on taking the championships away from the house of black and running the trios division so we have that to look forward to on aew collision now the main event tbs championship matchup it is 
Chris Statlander defending her championship against Marina Shafir. Chris would retain her championship by pinfall by hitting the inverted Saturday Night Fever. And what that is, is basically the Yoshi Tonic, but frontwards on Marina Shafir. So Chris retains her championship, and that's how Rampage would end. So that's your Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I did mention that I was going to cover um, the G1 Climax standings. And as it stands right now, in A Block, the man with the leading the most points is Sonata with six. B Block, it is Okada with six. In C Block, it is a tie with David Finley and Evil at four. And in D Block, it is Zack Sabre Jr. and Jeff Cobb at four. Now, for people that don't know what the G1 is, as I said earlier at the beginning of the show, the G1 is New Japan's biggest tournament, and the winner of the tournament will be facing off against the New Japan champion at their Wrestle Kingdom, their WrestleMania, on January 4th or 5th. And that's just basically what this tournament is. Now, with that being said, the winner of this tournament will be, from time to time, be defending their opportunity uh, to main event Wrestle Kingdom on different New Japan shows because that's what they've been doing in recent years of the winner who's uh, won the G1 Climax. I think the only time has ever changed hands of who's actually won it and then lost it to someone else. It was Ibushi losing it to Jay White. I don't think other than that has ever happened. I think Jay White's the only other person that's actually lost the G1 book main evented because he took it off of the winner who won the G1. So I don't know what could happen this year. They could probably pull another stunt like that or just have to wait and see what happens towards the end of the G1 and who ultimately ends up winning it. Now, having laid out that information, if you want to know more about what's going on in the G1 Climax, the storylines technically that's happening in the G1 Climax, I suggest you going over to a YouTuber by the name of Wrestling Ranton. He covers more New Japan uh, wrestling than he does WWE, AEW, Impact. He covers New Japan a lot. And I will suggest you going into his uh, past few episodes or videos about the G1 Climax. And he breaks down what happened in day one, day two, and the future days to come. I'm not going to be able to do all that because I talk about WWE, AEW, Impact. You guys see by the length of these episodes what I talk about. New Japan, I talk about relatively like when it's of important stature. And I feel that the G1 is important and it should be covered uh, yearly. So that's the reason why I'm bringing it up here. And also, I like Eddie Kingston and Kingston's in this uh, tournament. So that's another reason why I'm talking about it. But if you want to know more about the G1 Climax day-by-day operation, go listen to uh, Wrestling Ranton, uh YouTube channel for it. Now, with all that being said, it's time for me to get you guys out of here. I would like to tell everyone that I am back. I am here. If you guys missed my Wednesday episode, hey, you guys can listen to that right now. It is up there and available. I basically talk about the differences between the North and the South things that I witnessed on my little hiatus I was on. And remember, I do have a Sunday episode coming out tomorrow, so expect a Sunday episode. I talk about things that happened in the news this past week and also things that I kind of saw that happen from the little hiatus I was gone and I didn't get to really talk about. 
I'm gonna be talking about it tomorrow as well. So expect that if you happen to listen to uh, news from me. But with that being said, I love you guys. I'll see you guys either tomorrow or Wednesday or next week when you guys listen back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week. So with that being said, I love you all. Please be safe on the Saturday. Please stay hydrated because it's hot everywhere. And I'll see you guys later.